If you're joining us online, uh, there was a, a handout available. You can download that from Facebook or from the email that we send out each week. Uh, those that are here, there's a handout over on the, the table for you to follow along if you'd like to. When life gets tough, how do most people respond regarding their involvement and attendance in the church? When, God, when life gets rough, what, what is the typical response? Okay, why me? Maybe they, they maybe some blame God for the situation. Yeah. Okay, keep to themselves. They tend to just uh, stop showing up as often. Think that I, I need to handle this on my own. I need to get things right before I can go back and, and make a presence at church again. And, and why, why is that? Yeah, Ron, what else? I think if they haven't been attending, they do. Okay, if they haven't been attending, then, they, then it's an excuse to show up, maybe so I can get some help. And then, and then the, uh, the church becomes, uh, and God, God's the, the great uh, Santa Claus, you know, bring me out of my trouble. The, the church needs to get me out of my trouble. Yeah, that's definitely something that happens. What, if, what about someone who, who has been attending? Sometimes people who, ha, who have attended, they, they tend to stop coming. And then it, maybe it'll be a, a, a slow drop-off. You know, they'll come every other week. And then maybe it'll be every third week. And then every fourth week. And then before too long, they're not seen anymore. Things have just got... I, need, I have so much going on in my life. Uh, things have gotten busy. Job's gotten busy. I need to get those things dealt with, and then then I'll come back. But oftentimes they don't. They they remain away from the church. But uh, what what should be our response? How should we respond when when life gets difficult? Life gets tough. What should we do? Find something you can do to do something for somebody else instead of focus on yourself. Okay, find a thing to do on your own. Yeah. Lean more on the church. Lean more, yes. Lean more on the church, on your brothers and sisters. And that, this is where, where what, we're, what we're going to talk about really comes into play, and with, especially with like what Ron mentioned. If, if, you, if you haven't been attending and things get tough, then you show up all of a sudden and you want a lot of help. People are going to be reluctant to. They're going to be like, "Well, are you really here? What? What is it? Why is it that you haven't been here?" And uh, so, this really makes the case for coming all the time, being part of the fellowship as much as you possibly can, being involved as much as you can, build the relationships with other Christians as much as you can, because not only are they going to know the difficulties that you're going through, people are going to want. They're going. To, they're going to see it. You know, there's going to be more uh, ability for them to see the daily things that are going on in your life, and they'll be able to help, and they'll want to help you. What unfortunate trend, uh, something else that goes along with this somewhat, what unfortunate trend has developed concerning church involvement and attendance? Now, there may be more than one answer to this, obviously, but I'm, I'm kind of looking for one particular thing. Because it's, it's becoming an unfortunate popular trend, especially the more that we have online stuff. And I, I'm completely for online things myself. Uh, we've reached a lot of people that we never would have reached 
if we didn't have that, that media. Um, there, I, I think the, the good that comes from it is much more than trying to, to keep people away. You know, and then, then the fact that it does keep people away or somebody's not coming to church simply because they, they can see it online, that shouldn't be a reason we don't offer that particular thing because uh, that would be a managing by the exception. I mean, we have to be careful to not do that. But what, what unfortunate trend is that we're seeing? I think a lot of times um, church kind of becomes a thing that fills in the gaps when we have the time. So it's like, all right, I've got time, I can go, instead of everything else setting aside for church. Okay, yeah, church, church happens uh, I, whenever I can fit it in. That's definitely a trend. What else? I think the biggest trend today is people want to be entertained. <clears throat> Okay. Okay. What can the church offer me? Yeah. Rather than looking to the interests of others, what what do I get out of this? That's definitely a trend. What else possibly? What's that? Okay. Their attendance decreases. Okay. Um. There may be some of that. Maybe. Yeah. Associated with gathering. Okay. Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of getting sick because the thing, things that have been hyped up so much with uh, with illness. They still haven't found the one. They're still looking for one. <laughs> Do you think that maybe the um, programs or the what's being taught just not really touching a spot in their life and they're not possibly connection? Possibly. Yeah. That's that. Definitely could be part of it. The, the thing I'm looking for in response to this question is this idea that I can be church at home by myself. I can be the church. I can have my own church service. I can have my grape juice and my cracker at home. And I can watch something online and, and I, can, I can be play church at home by myself. I, my family, I've, I've talked to multiple families. And where they think that their family can have their own little church at home by themselves. We can have our own little Bible study and we can have church. Just us, just the few of us together. That is not a biblical concept of church at all. And we're going to discuss this idea of koinonia, how it's defined in, in the scripture. Um. Who, what does that word mean? You've heard that word probably. But what's the, what does the Greek word koinonia mean? Fellowship. Fellowship, yes. But how do, how do we use that word in a church setting? Okay, eating food together like we often do. We like to have a fellowship. Okay, <laughs> we have, uh, we, we use that word kind of very, really on a surface type of way. Um, according to the, the Greek usage of this word, it's much more than simply getting together. It literally means a partnership. And when you develop a partnership with someone, what, what does that mean? If you have a business partnership, what does that mean? You're dependent, fully dependent on each other. Okay, you both have a stake in the game. Okay, it's not one, if there's a partnership, one partner's not going to do all the work and provide all the funding. 
Okay? Both people have, they're providing equal funding. There's equal work, equal, equal amount of effort is to be put, put into this shared contribution to what they're, what they're participating in. It's a, a, a participation, a sharing in spiritual fellowship or fellowship in the spirit. Properly, it, it means what is shared in common as the basis of fellowship. Fellowship, And to go even a little bit further, uh, the verb tenses of this word and other usages uh, mean contact, intimacy, share which one has in anything, a benefaction jointly con- contributed, a collection, or a contribution. Okay, so when you hear those kind of phrases and those words, now what does fellowship mean? You're contributing back to the church. Okay, you're, you're contributing to every part of what's going on. It's not just simply showing up on Sunday morning. It's not showing up at the fellowship when we have dinner. It's much, much more than that. Yeah. Yeah, we're respond. Yeah, caring for the interests of others. We're going to talk about that some more. Yeah, I was just looking up the word, and it said that it's used 19 times in the New Testament, and it's translated fellowship 12 times, sharing three times, participation and contribution twice each. Yeah, so that that's how the word. That's really what is meant by this word. Now let's look at Acts 2:42 because this is where we typically go to. I'm going to move this camera here a little bit because it's glaring on people. Someone look uh, Acts 2.42. Okay, go ahead. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Okay, so those were the four things. If the church gets together, this need, these need to be the four things that are focused on. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, Breaking of bread, which is a reference to communion and prayer. If we don't do anything when we come together, those things need to be done. And this idea of fellowship is is much more than just meeting together with one another. So what biblical analogy is used to describe the church working together in 1 Corinthians 12.12? Someone read that for us. 1 Corinthians 12.12. Okay. Um, for as the body is one and has many members but all the members of that one body being one body so also is Christ yeah that's good so according to this what what analogy is Paul using here yeah he's using the body and if we we take that uh, thinking about fellowship and what we just learned about that the word fellowship and then how Paul uses this analogy of the body Putting those two ideas together, what does this mean? How, how are we to, to act toward one another? What makes the parts of Christ's body work together in harmony? Yeah. Uh, um, I don't know if this is what you're looking for, but um, finding out where what your gift is, what, what you're able to do. Sure. Fulfilling that. Yeah. Yeah, making making a concerted effort to think what think about what talents do I have, what abilities, what experiences do I have, and how can I use those things to contribute, to serve, to help each part of the body. 
And when everyone is thinking about that, they're thinking about the interests of others more than themselves, then there's this mutual sharing, mutual contribution that's going to happen naturally between the members of the body. And the hand doesn't work without the head. And the, well, there's only one head, which is Christ. That was a bad analogy. So the, the hand doesn't work without the foot. You know, the arm doesn't work without the hips. You know, whatever. So the eyes don't work without the nose. Okay? There's, there's all these, di- <laughs> there's all, all the different parts have to contribute to the makeup of the body, just like our own physical body. If one part is ailing, we know it pretty quickly, don't we? If, if we stub our toe, we're going to know that and it's going to hurt. Okay? And the same should happen in the body. We should, we should, this, this idea of fellowship is an intimate connection of serving each other, participating with each other, so we know when the little toe gets hurt. We know when the knee is having a discouraging time. You know, you, know, you, know, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about actual body parts here. We're, we're talking about people and everyone's specific needs and, and, and the things that they, they need in their, in their lives, spiritually, emotionally, materially. All those things will come out if we know each other in this, this way. Is somebody going to make another? I saw a hand. Yeah, hey, I'm just kind of adding to your point. But yeah. When we were in high school, um, we started our shop class at the um, both tech school. Uh, one of the first things we did before we started running all the equipment was our teacher had us tape our thumbs to our hands so we, we okay. could our thumbs. Yeah. We had to untie our shoes and then and tape our thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the whole point was to see how it affects your ability to do such a simple task as tying your shoes without those fingers. Yeah, I mean, just that burn in our minds how important this is to be safe. But yeah. put that in the aspect of a church where you just lose one important piece yeah, that's it affects right. everything. You, you yeah. can't do simple tasks that you'd otherwise be able to do with just a loss of one thing. Yeah, and then and, and it goes it goes to the, the bigger picture of the church all working together. Is the is the church optimally able to perform its function as the local church if every part yeah. is not contributing not to the fellowship? Not efficiently. No. Not efficiently, and, and definitely not to the, the grand scale that it could operate. And so there's there much more that comes out of this, this idea of fellowship than just simply meeting together. Let's look at this other scripture here, 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through 13, verse 3, chapter 13, verse 13. Um, why don't we get a, a few readers? Uh, someone could read uh, 12, 31 through... Like 13, verse 3. Okay. And then we'll take uh, someone else. Chapter 13, verses 4 through through 9. Okay. And then one last person finishes uh, verses 10 through 13. Okay, Ron. All right. So who, who was my first reader? Okay. All right. If you could start there. Chapter 12, verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now I'm going to stop. Let me stop you there. Sorry. What has Paul just referred to? And look back up, scan up into chapter 12 a little bit. 
What has he just talked about here? Okay, spiritual gifts, but but amongst those things are even the miraculous gifts. You know, things like speaking in tongues, working miracles, you know, all, all these things that, that in the New Testament we see some people desiring, you know, like Simon the sorcerer. He wanted the, the miraculous gifts that the apostles had. Okay? Now, people saw those signs and wonders, and that's what led a lot of people to follow Jesus and a lot of people to follow the apostles because they saw them performing miraculous signs and wonders, and they, they wanted to see more of it. They wanted to be part of it. Okay? But what does Paul say just after referring to those things? He says in that chapter 13, or chapter 12, verse 31, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. Okay, so what's more important? What is, what is even a better way? To show love to each other. To show love to the one another. Show, show love to the brethren. Okay, go, go ahead and continue here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. All right. So if I have all these great things, but I don't have love, I have nothing. If I, don't, if I don't show love to other people, I don't show love to the brethren. I don't have this intimate fellowship with other believers. It doesn't matter what I do in my day-to-day -day life. It doesn't matter how much money I give to the poor. It doesn't matter how many wonderful and great things I do. It doesn't matter how successful I am in the business world. If I don't have love, if I don't have agape love, I have nothing. All right, let's keep reading. <coughs> love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Hey, so he just said before, they're referring to the, the miraculous gifts of tongues and miracles and those, those ideas. There is a more excellent way. And now he takes a step further. He says, these things are going to pass away, which they did, we know, with, after the apostles passed. Those miraculous gifts passed away. And we no longer see those things anymore because the apostles aren't here to pass them on to anybody. And so, just like he says here, they, they did pass away. The tongues were stilled. The knowledge where there was special knowledge, miraculous knowledge, it passed away. Where there were prophecies, they were they would cease. And he said they only knew 
in part because they didn't have the completed Word of God the way that we do. So let's keep reading. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. All right. Now, how is this how is this chapter typically used? Okay, everybody, this is the, this is the chapter, the love chapter. We're gonna read it at somebody's wedding. It's gonna make everybody gush because it's talking about love. Is is the context here a wedding? No. <laughs> what's the context here? What what's what is Paul? What's the big issue here? The big idea. Paul's trying to get across. These people were all trying to, they were desiring gifts that were temporary, but they weren't using the love that was supposed to point, those things were supposed to point to the love of Christ, but they were using them to make themselves yeah. limited. Yeah. Yeah, the, these, the gifts, the miraculous gifts, were to point toward the message, and the, those things were to, to, to help the church get started, to, to help the church grow initially. But Paul's trying to convince them. He's providing an overwhelmingly convincing argument that there's a greater way to do this. There's a greater way to build fellowship. There's a greater way to grow the church. There's a, a greater way to, to, to bring about the purpose and the mission that we find in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, of going and making disciples and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. It's through loving each other, having a close, tight fellowship with each other to the point that we, we know everything is going on in the body. The, the interesting thing here, in verse 10, he says, when completeness comes, as some of I'm sure understand what that is talking about. What is he referring to there, completeness? Yes, it's a, it's a neuter word. The only thing that it could mean, according to scholars that, that study this, is that it's referring to the completed Scripture. When the complete thing comes, when we have it in its fullness in front of us, we won't know in part anymore like they did because we're going to see it. It's going to be right here. He says someday we're going we're to see face to face. How, how, can, we, how can we see God Face to face today? No man has seen God and, and not died. But how can we see God face to face today? Right here. Open up His Word and we can see Him. We can know fully, as Paul says here. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Now, some have said that's a reference to what's going to happen in the end because when we're in heaven we won't need faith we won't need hope and what's going to be left love but i also like to argue that that text is for now too can we have an absolute assurance in our faith 
Yes. According to Hebrews, we can. Can we have the way that the Bible talks about hope? Can we have an absolute assurance in hope? Absolutely, we can. The closer in fellowship that you become with God, the closer in fellowship that you become with other believers in Christ, your faith is going to be stronger. It's not going to be a I hope so kind of hope. It's going to be a sure thing. Just as sure as love. See, they had to, they had to have a lot more faith. And I think this is why Jesus said, Blessed is he who has not seen and yet believes. Because they understood. Jesus understood. And they understood. We have the completed word of God. The Christian in the first century didn't have this. They didn't know, they, they didn't know fully like we know. So the, the admonition here is to know know more, have more faith, have more hope, and and grow in those things together in the fellowship of the body. It comes with being together as often as you possibly can. When troubles arise in a congregation, um, or when, when do troubles arise in the congregation? This is a big question. There's a lot of things, but yeah, when... What are, what are just, bring it down to just some one word answers. Distraction. Okay, disagreement. Distraction. Gossip. Gossip. Self. Self, yes. Pride. That's the, probably the big one. C.S. Lewis said pride's the root of all sin. I think he's probably got a pretty good handle on it there. Because really, if you think about sin, that's what it is. It's trying to take God off his throne and put yourself there. And um, pride and selfishness are the two biggest things that, that really plague uh, a situation when, when trouble arises in a congregation. And conversely, in healthy congregation, what do members value? Yeah, the unity. The tight fellowship. The, the contribution of everyone. This uh, really, uh, I think somebody mentioned earlier, what some things that, that may keep people from coming and attending is that I'm not getting what I think I need to get out of the, out of the situation. And um, I've, had, I've had people talk to me about that in the past. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to, to answer in some situations. Um, because there's a lot of feelings involved in it. Uh, people uh, want to, to have some emotional, uh, I guess, uh, response to what they're able to get from the, the fellowship or from the, the meeting, the time of assembly that we have. But I always like to encourage people, don't come for what you can get out of it. Come for what you can put into it. No matter what situation that you're in, no matter how difficult the situation, nobody, nobody here tonight, nobody watching online tonight ever has had it as difficult as Paul had it. I'm sorry, but you just, you don't. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's no excuse, in other words. 
you think you have it bad, go back and read what Paul went through. Research all the difficulties that he found himself in, and you just your problems pale in comparison to what Paul went through. But he would encourage you by what we just read tonight in First in First Corinthians thirteen to be here as often as you possibly can and contribute everything you possibly can to the fellowship. And when everyone's doing that, you, you, you guys, everybody here knows that the, the more that you, you give to something, the more you end up getting out of it. It's just, that's just how it happens. It's amazing how God works that out. It's the same way with giving of your money. To the church, God multiplies that that money and the efforts that come from the, the financial contributions are much, much more, much bigger than what we could ever do on our own because he's behind it and he's helping those things to prosper. And the same thing happens on an individual basis. When we give of our time and our effort, the more we give, the more we end up receiving back from it. Anybody ever had, maybe even recently, maybe you, you uh, did something to be a blessing to somebody else and you, you received backs much more. Can anybody have a, a situation that you'd, like, that you'd share where you, you helped somebody else and you ended up receiving a bigger blessing or some, a bigger uh, benefit back than you ever expected? Yeah. I don't want to be a bragger. No. no, that's what, no, it's it. This is part of fellowship. This is contributing, <laughs> sharing with each other. We had an older couple came to visit. Yeah. They weren't Christians. Mm -hmm. And when the service was over, it was pouring down rain. So I said, wait, I'll go get an umbrella. So I ran out to my car, got an umbrella, and walked to their car. Yeah. They became faithful Yeah. to the point they died. Both are gone now. But they were faithful ever since, and they told me, "Look, we came back because you got us no problem." Yeah, yeah, great, great example. One little thing, yeah, and then it, and it it made all the difference in the world to that person. Yeah, it's a, any little thing that we can do for someone. You never know how that's going to impact somebody's life, and. Um, I, I have one, I'm going to embarrass her, but I have an example right here tonight. My future daughter-in-law. Just, just uh, taking the time to study with her. You know, giving up a few hours. And now look, it's a, a blessing that's way beyond anything I ever expected. Okay, this just, you, you never know how, what impact you're going to make in the life of somebody else. And so the, the point is that that Paul wants to get across the point that the lesson writer wants us to see is this type koinonia type of fellowship is really what's going to grow the church. That's what's going to make the church dynamic is when we get involved in the lives of each and every person where we know them uh, on a, a very familiar basis. In congregations who value fellowship, what do members consider? Let's read Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
Oh, one second. One second. Here we go. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Yeah, so in, uh, in growing congregations, I, I could put, we could put there, or in congregations who value fellowship, the, the biblical definition of fellowship, what do members consider? Looking to the interests of others of us. So this goes back to the idea, what am, I, what am I getting out of this situation? What am I getting out of this fellowship? What, what kind of question should we be asking? What can I contribute to the fellowship? What person can I consider above myself? We look to the interests of others, not, not just to our own. The church will flourish best when we learn to put the group before ourselves. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, when and where was the church conceived? Now, this is an important uh, idea to think about. Right behind our commitment to Christ comes our commitment to His church. Uh, the, the church is the main event. I think Denny, not Denny, uh, Dick may have said this in one of his sermons. The church is the main event. Christ died for the church. The church is what's been left to carry out the purpose of Christ. He left us with the Great Commission. He left that to the church. He didn't leave that to me. He didn't leave that to Josh. He didn't leave that to Cody by himself. He left that to the church. And so the, the church is God's dream team. <clears throat> In Ephesians chapter 1, when was the church, when and where were the church conceived? Somebody want to read that? Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 4. Okay. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Okay. So according to that passage, when and where was the church conceived? In heaven. In the mind of God, before the foundation of the world, he had the church in mind to be the greatest institution to ever be on the face of the earth. That's an amazing thought. To think about you and I in our, in our small amount of life that we spend on the earth. We can be part of this grand institution that God had conceived in His own mind before He even created the world. This, this is the family that He wanted to participate with for all of eternity. Now that passage... Ephesians chapter 1 is grossly misinterpreted often by the faith-only world, the Calvinistic world, where they will, they will claim that that is talking to the individual. The individuals were predestined. But if we notice, and he says that it was in Christ that he predestined us. It's a reference to, in general, he's talking about the church. He predestined the church. He predestined the plan. Those who would be in Christ would be part of the church. 
part of this grand institution. Ephesians 5.25 tells us that Christ died for the church. So what, what greater institution could you be part of? What greater institution could you get more involved in than the Lord's church? If you can come up with another, another example, Dick said this, and I'll join it tomorrow. Because <laughs> there, isn't, there isn't a greater example. There's only one institution that's going to make disciples. It's going to transform the lives of other people because we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. The church is brothers and sisters fighting the good fight together. They protect the once delivered faith, defended, defending the downtrodden and liberating those who are held in spiritual bondage. We seek the lost and we support the saved. No greater cause can be conceived, no greater cause can be supported. But without commitment to God's team, neither you nor the church can reach its full potential. Sooner or later, the vision will dim, the passion will grow cold if we don't have a close, united fellowship with one another. Name three things that the church provides its members. The, the three things are connection, protection, and direction. Connection, protection, and direction. And to receive those things, we need to participate in the church, not simply be a spectator. Ask what, what can I contribute to this process, to this purpose? What are three essentials of responsible church membership? The first one is to submit to the elders. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Somebody read that. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 5. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. All right, so he's referencing here the elders, those who uh, are to care for you those who uh, work hard for you in the Lord and admonish you in the Lord, hold them in high regard because of their work. It is not an easy thing to, to be an elder of a congregation. Uh, it's, it takes a lot of work to be a spiritual overseer, to guard the souls. That's really another thing that they do, that they're charged with. The elders direct the affairs of the congregation uh, oftentimes, uh, those things uh, involve working with the evangelist to, to help teach and preach the correct things that they want to uh, that need to be taught. Uh, Ephesians chapter four verses eleven through thirteen really is the job description of the elders and the evangelists um, to to equip the the members of the church for works of service, and so being submitting to to the eldership. And, and uh, going along with, in other words, what, what they're asking us to, to do uh, on a weekly basis as far as our meetings, I mean, that's the least that we can do, is be here when the church assembles. But submitting to their leadership is 
one essential thing for responsible church membership that will help with this idea of fellowship. Committing to church assemblies is another one. Commit to church assemblies. Hebrews 10.25 uh, tells us to not forsake the assembly. Faithful attendance is not a test of obedience, but it's God's means for molding His people. Okay? Simply attending is not, that's not, it's not a test of our obedience just because we show up. When we show up and we, we come to a time of study, come, we come to a, a worship service and, and learn, that's, those are ways that are being provided for us to, to be molded into the people that we should be, be taught the things, and we should take full advantage of that. It should be an I get to attitude rather than I have to attitude. The last thing is commit to one another. Commit to one another. Can somebody read Galatians 6, verse 10? Yeah, go ahead. All the way back. Therefore, as we have opportunities, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay. So who are we to do good to? Everybody. Yeah, to do good to all, but he puts this little... Caveat at the end, especially to the household of faith. Because that's, that's one thing that's going to help keep this fellowship together. God created people to need other people. And um, through this last couple of years, that, that's really suffered. It's really hurt the relationships of a lot of individuals because they haven't made a point to be with other people. And uh, he, God didn't create us to be separated from one another. We, we desire fellowship with each other. We, we want it. It's an, an important thing to commit to each other. Number seven, name three kinds of needs that Christians should seek to meet. What are some ways in which they're met? The first one is material needs. And what are some of the ways that we can meet material needs? Making sure people have enough uh, food or, um, you know, Okay. Okay, the basics of, of food, food, shelter, clothing. Okay. What are some, what are some other ways we can meet material needs? This is one of the things the church you know, needs to be doing. There's many examples in the scripture for this. Yeah. Uh, we either give or, or sell some personal possessions to make, you know, give us the ability to give that yeah. the proceeds to those people. You know? Sure. Yeah, just like the early church did, giving up their own in order to help someone else. And, and hope, what it, ultimately, what's the, the object of that? Why do we do it? What do we want to happen? It's the same thing as helping with the umbrella, isn't it? Yeah, the desire there is to ultimately save the soul of the person. We don't just simply give somebody food and say, oh, here, here you go, take it. No, we're going to tell them about Christ. We're going to share the gospel with them when we're doing it. We're going to pray with them. 
When children are born, they're completely dependent on their parents for food and clothing and shelter. And the same uh, neediness can characterize the declining years. Oftentimes when we're older, we're going to need, we need someone to take care of us. I mean, how many of you have taken care of your, your parents, grandparents, as they, as they got older? Or a friend? Yeah, and the needs become the same thing as they were when they were very young. Sometimes you, they need help just eating, taking a bath, simple things. Between infancy and old age, many people come to rely on others because of extraordinary circumstances. When there's a death in the family, an accident, or an illness, or various forms of uh, social upheaval, they create conditions of neediness. Yet even the most healthy and productive years are built on mutual dependence. If you think about it, every single day, you're dependent on at least a dozen people, I would say. Maybe more. And you're thinking, what? Really? Hey, think about all the things that you partake of on a daily basis. And then think about who you are dependent upon. Just name some. What's that? Farmers. A farmer. Yeah. How many people here grow all their own food? And slaughter it? Butchers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who else? Uh, opposing drivers obeying traffic laws. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Other drivers. Yeah. Who else are you dependent on? My wife. Your wife. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Definitely dependent on my wife. Utility companies. Yeah. The utilities. Yeah, you provide your own electricity, your own gas, your own fuel for your car. Hey, how many people tailored their own clothes? Yeah, so every, every one of us are dependent on a dozen or more people on a daily basis. There's a mutual dependence that's created just by living and there's things that we need to supply what we can't provide for ourselves. The bond between citizens in a market economy is very impersonal though and it's driven by our own self-interest because it, what am I getting out of it I pay the electric company a hundred dollars what do I expect a hundred dollars of electricity I go and fill up my car hundred dollars gasoline that's a sore subject these days <laughs> but I want to get a hundred dollars worth of gasoline right okay yeah maybe a half a tank yeah. but Christian fellowship is motivated not by the self-interest. What am I getting from my contribution? Christian fellowships motivated by compassion and concern for the other person. Okay, and so that, that's what makes it so hard to practice this biblical idea of fellowship. Because we're so, on a daily basis, or we're so used to giving up something of ours and we expect something back in return because of, of the, the market or because of this is what I expect for my money, for my, for my labor. I expect this thing back. But it's completely different when it comes to the church. I provide, I provide, I provide because I have compassion on an eternal soul that I want to see in heaven someday because that's what God wants. And that's a lot different motivation 
And that's why it looks so foreign to the world. That's why people can't understand. Why do you meet together four times a week? Why do you get together Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, and then sometimes even other times you get to? Like last night we were together. Some of the guys were, the ladies have a lot of things. Why do you do all that? Because we have compassion on the precious soul, the lost soul that we want to see one to Christ. And that's the purpose of the fellowship that we have as the church. Followers of Christ cannot remain detached. In addition to supplying material needs, we need to go even further. Christians are alert. We're responsive to one another's emotional needs. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Somebody want to read that? And then uh, we'll ask someone to read Romans 12.15. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Okay, and then Romans 12, 15. Okay, Bill, back there. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Okay. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. All right, be where the being is. In other words, when it's important to be there, be there. Okay. Talks about nope. becoming all things to all people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's going a step further than, than saying, what am I going to get out of it? Because I know it's important to just be there for people, to rejoice when they're rejoicing, to weep when they're weeping, comfort those who are, ber- who are bereaved, cheer with those who, are, who, are, uh, who need encouragement, Families know and care for their members. And this natural tendency is intensified in the church because of the Spirit of God. Those who were strangers are now brothers and sisters in Christ. And they rejoice with one another. And Christians also tend to one another's spiritual needs. That's the last one there. Number seven, spiritual needs. Galatians uh, 6, verses 1 and 2. I'll read a few more scriptures. We'll be it. Okay. And then Hebrews 3.13. All right, in the back. And Colossians 3.16. One last year, okay. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right. This is this is the idea here of having those, those vital conversations with other Christians. Knowing each other on a, on a deep level, enough to where you can have a, a deep conversation. Not just the trivial, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Okay, yeah, bye. This is really getting into the lives, the spiritual needs of other people to the point to where you feel comfortable and they feel comfortable sharing the deep spiritual needs. And if there is somebody that's dealing with a particular sin, how does he say to address it? 
one-on-one -on -one with gentleness and compassion. Okay? Taking care not to be you know, drug into that thing, whatever it is, yourself. But it, it, the idea of admonishment comes into play here. And the, the scriptural word for admonishment, um, it's a Greek word I can't really pronounce, but it's nethet eho. If that's how you say it, who knows? I'm not Greek. It means to admonish or to exhort, but it also means to warn and to counsel. Reasoning with someone by way of warning them, appealing to their mind through doctrinal and spiritual substance. That's the scriptural idea of admonishing someone. So if we, if we have a, a friendship with someone and we find out somebody is dealing with the sin, we don't go to that Christian brother and say, you horrible, crazy person, how dare you act like that? What are we going to do? You're going to pray with them. Or you're going to have studied enough yourself so that you can use scriptural content to make a scriptural argument out of love, with gentleness, to help to restore that person back and help them repent the way that they need to repent. Not come down on them harshly. Not, not drive them away from the church. Not drive them away from Christ. But that, that idea of admonishment carries much more weight than simply just coming down harsh on somebody and treating them like a child. Because they, they deserve to be treated with respect. It doesn't strictly mean to chastise. Although, you might have to be stern. Because you care about them. And you let them know that. And sometimes people won't listen to you. We can't control how people are going to react. But we can't control how we approach the situation. And we can help to restore that person and really see the spiritual need in their life. Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Least any of you be the of Alright. Encourage each other every single day. Colossians three sixteen. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual psalms, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so that we can help to provide for each other's spiritual needs by just singing songs with each other, being part of worship together, um, being together. And then this last question is just kind of one, um, I have a quick answer for it, but it's one you can think about, maybe add some other things on your own. But how can a congregation create a deeper sense of family? The, the quick and short answer is less me, more we. Less me and more we. When you're added to Christ church, you have people on your side who love you, who care for you, support your growth. You have this not only for yourself, but also for the family that, that guides you through this dangerous world. 
Doing so will accelerate your growth and will multiply your joy and will help you to live an abundant life in Christ. Yeah? I was just going to say, I think we're very, very blessed here. We see, I see members here who reach out to other members, family members here, and they know they're hurting, and they just, everyone seems to minister to one another. Yeah, yeah. It's not one person doing it all, it's everyone doing a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's noticeable. Really is, yeah. Dick mentioned to us a couple of different times. He, he said, "I I know things are healthy." He even said this in, in his sermons. He said that you can tell in a congregation when things are healthy and the people really care about each other because they don't just leave right away after the service is over. They stay around. They have those meaningful conversations with each other. Really care about what's going on in one another's lives, and that, that makes all the difference. And uh, the the world is a, a lost and dying world and we need to be like stars shining in the brightness of the darkness and the only way we're going to be able to do that is by working with each other by having a close fellowship with one another let's close with the word prayer our heavenly father we thank you lord for this reminder tonight the need of fellowship to have very close and not trivial relationships with one another we pray that you would help to help each one of us to search in our own hearts and minds to see what we can provide, to look to the interests of others above ourselves, to have that, that mindset of Christ. He did this. He, he had that kind of mindset, Lord, because he was willing to come to the earth and to die for us, die a cruel death on a cross so that we could have eternal life in him. We're thankful for that great example. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>